the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Continuing to reflect upon the horrific school shooting in Texas. And then some more major news out of the Southern Baptist Convention. You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. It's good to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. Aubrey, it still feels really heavy, right? Yeah, like it, it still feels like every now and then things happen nationally uh, that make you go, I don't feel like I have license right now to joke around. I don't feel, yeah. and we're going to yeah. do some lighthearted stuff later in the show, I promise. But uh, you know, kind of, it does feel like you need to dive into the deep end of the pool. And that continues to be as news and now personal stories mm-hmm. and, uh, faces to names yeah. starts to happen yeah. with that horrific school shooting in Ugh. Texas. Uh, it's hard. And as we told people yesterday, don't look away. Uh, but, but it's really difficult when you start to hear the stories of these kids, you start to hear things that went wrong. You start Mm -hmm. to get details. It's just, it continues to be overwhelming. Yeah. It's, it's so, I mean, it's so overwhelming and I, it feels overwhelming too, in light of just like, okay, so we, the SBC report came out and before Mm -hmm. that was the shooting in Buffalo and before that was the shooting at the Taiwanese immigrant church. And before that was the shooting in the Dallas, uh, Asian salon. And now we are, I mean, I think also the heaviness of it being children, like raises kind of the, the level of emotionality towards it, but it, is heavy it is hard i'm sure everyone hugged their kids a little bit tighter yesterday and man i i think you're right i've had friends who say i can't look i can't look and i'm like i i understand the instinct to self-preserve i really do but at the end of the day those parents can't not look and so i do think we need to as much as we can as people of god with you know as much as we can muster i know everyone has different levels of of ability and resilience for this kind of thing. But as much as we can enter in and yeah. and lament with and cry out to God and do what you can to make a difference. Yeah, I think that's well put. And I don't know if you saw it on Anderson Cooper last night. They interviewed one of the dads of the girls. And no. he literally talked about he was a medic there and he found out from another his daughter's best friend who was weeping who didn't know this was her dad. And the girl was like, they killed, he killed my best friend. And the dad said, who was your best friend? And she said the girl's name of the dad who was right there. Are you, kid- are you kidding me? I mean, it's just, hor- I, 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 I can't, I can't fathom all that's going on, right? What, all of the stories are just horrific. And I think uh, we're all asking, a, I want to play a bit of audio. This is from the Dan Lebitard podcast. He's a sports writer. It's a sports show. But as with everybody, everybody's kind of preoccupied right now with what actually happened, whether you usually talk about sports, whether you usually talk about politics. In our case, you talk about religion, whatever else it might be. Everyone's kind of weighing in going, 
like, what are we going to do? And, and I, this is a little long. It's a little over two minutes, but I want you to hear it because it's really well done, especially how he ends that. Let's listen to Dan Levitard. No matter what you think America is or should be, no matter how much stupidity we file under politics these days, we live in a country where there are no safe spaces left to hide from this uniquely American sickness. Our guns aren't safe. Our background checks aren't safe. Our schools aren't safe. Our children aren't safe. Our country isn't safe. Our love isn't safe. The hate sure as hell seems to be, though. Outrageous. That's what this is. I felt it almost everywhere I went yesterday. People literally trembling mad. Angrier than they were before this. And we were plenty angry as a place before this. There is little worse than you can say about a place than that it can't protect its most vulnerable. But it's something we can say about America now without dispute. Such a uniquely American sickness. Unlike anywhere else in the world. We're the headquarters for this. The world's biggest supplier. This was the deadliest shooting at a U.S. elementary school since Sandy Hook a decade ago. The deadliest shooting in the modern history of gun-toting Texas. That's 26 school shootings resulting in injury or death in the U.S. in 2022. I will not offer you solutions. I will not argue about politics or guns. I don't go to pay respects at a funeral to get into an argument with the grieving pallbearers about the Second Amendment. Somewhere between the moments of silence and the moments of screaming, we bow our heads with condolences that don't console and pray to God or scream at God through helpless and terrified pleas that a school even closer to home than this isn't next. It is so hard to come by empathy these days, but this one hits everyone in the heart because we all imagine in the randomness of it, in the cruelty, in the unimaginable horror of dropping kids off at school with so much life and then never getting to touch that life again, that it could be us next because it could be. When are we going to do something? It haunts the sound of it, the grief in it, the cry, the despair it's soaked in. When are we going to do something? When are we going to do something? When are we going to do something? So I think that's the question we're all wrestling with right now. What are we going to do? And he said it over and over for emphasis. What are you going to do? When are we going to do something? Uh, I've already had my fill of the politicians right now, whether it be Ted Cruz talking about, uh, hey, the answer here is just to have one armed door. I think we could do better than that. Uh, Or whether it's better O'Rourke, you know, kind of grandstanding at that press conference yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like trying to score political points in this moment for his run for governor. I've had enough of the politicians, but sadly, it's the politicians who have to answer this right now. Right. Right. The what are we going to do? Have you? I don't know how you would answer that question. Have you wrestled with that over the last day even now? What 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 do we do now? I honestly think what has been surprising to me, and I, I recognize I'm in a certain echo chamber of my own, okay? But I think what has been surprising to me is the amount of people who totally disagree on what we need to do. And some of those people aren't even willing to say uh, gun reform is part of that conversation. And that to me is shocking. Like, 
I understand that's not the entire line of defense. And I am not saying take everyone's guns away. But like you and I said yesterday, like AR-15 seem to be the problem. Let's do something about those. And then, yeah, there are other complicated issues that need to be addressed. But can we at least stop there? Like, but it is wild to me when people are like, no, it's about this. No, it's about that. I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, like our kids, especially our little, well, any of our kids, any of our kids, but especially our most precious young kids should not be afraid to go to school. And if we can't put that them above everything else, then I don't know what's wrong. And I think this is part of where I'm frustrated with politicians too, Brian, because it does seem like either they're grandstanding and then exploiting this for their own political power pursuits, or they're afraid to do anything because they don't want to lose the votes of their constituents. And so again, nobody's putting their kids first and the money in the lobbies. That's a huge one too. And nobody's putting the kids first. Yeah, I agree. And so I, I, it's annoying. It's, it's, it's ah, crazy making maddening. And, and I, what I'm frustrated with, I was told you earlier today, I was doing my sermon prep. You know, where I like to do my sermon prep sitting at the local Panera. Panera. So I was there. Uh, I could overhear three different groups of people. This was all they were talking about in mm. the frustrations and this yeah. and, and in my mind what i keep wanting to tell people is like you don't have to land in the answer this could be a lot of answers yes like that's all i think you and i are saying uh talking about guns and gun safety and gun reform is part of the answer right. talking right. about mental health is part of the answer. Yes. And and it was so disingenuous to see the governor of Texas yesterday talk about mental health and that being what they need to do when he cut over $200 million from the budget for mental health and that yeah. Texas is last right now yeah. in mental health spending. But yeah. yes, mental health is, you and I were talking off air, people are wanting to say to us, well, this is a problem with dads being mm-hmm. absent. Mm-hmm. Part of the conversation. There's lots okay. of new, there's lots of parts to this conversation yeah. But I really think that you're you're missing the boat if you don't think guns is part of this conversation. And so we continue to mourn. I'm grateful for the words there of Dan Dan Lebetard saying, what are we going to do? I think everyone right now is is asking. And I would encourage people out there, don't let this don't move on to the next story. Just just stay with this for the next couple of days, weeks, whatever. And, And this needs hopefully to be a time when things change. Well, Aubrey, one of the stories we've been talking about for a good year now, mm-hmm. but, uh, and again, it is, it is bubbled back to the surface with the recent release, uh, the guidepost release about the abuse in the Southern Baptist, uh, convention in the Southern Baptist denomination. And now like, uh, you know, that was the bomb that kind of went off and everybody's trying to pick up the pieces, put the pieces back together. What do we do? You know, and you and yeah. I are not Southern Baptists. You, you have constantly told us that you grew up in the Southern Baptist church. Yeah, I came or, to Christ in the Southern Baptist yep, church. Yep. Yep. Uh, but the reason this is important, even for people like you and I, who are not Southern Baptists is this is the largest, uh, Protestant denomination that there is. This is yeah. the largest one. And so, um, you know, uh, you and I have spoken very much that we are in favor of these uh, these reports of the abuse coming mm-hmm. out of yep. them kind of facing their sins here, that bringing yep. things to light. Well, another major step happened a few days ago, and uh, I'm reading this from Christianity Today. Southern Baptists move to release pastor list, repudiate old approach 
to survivors. Days after a bombshell investigative report, the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee decided to do what previous leaders refused to do for 15 years, release a list of pastors who had been credibly accused Mm -hmm. of abuse. Uh, So they talk about Willie McLaurin. He's the new executive committee president. He was flanked by the lawyers. And they proposed immediately issuing a statement repudiating the dismissive stance that executive committee leaders had taken toward victims in the past and making public a list of 700 alleged abusers that former leaders kept secret. The quick move, uh, the quick moves contrast with the historic approach captured in the investigative report and in last year's meetings where ascending liability was a common talking point and lawyers defaulted the closed door session to advise the trustees. So this is a next step. This is a big deal. They're saying we want to be uh, much more transparent. We want to yeah. be open, not just about our present, but about our past. And yeah. there's this list of a as they use the term credibly accused abusers Mm. Mm. that for the last 15 years has been kind of kept quiet. Like they said, well, we'll talk about abuse, but we're not going to release this list. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now they're releasing this list later on in the article. uh, One of the, uh, one of the victims that, that has been prominent and talked and and has been very outspoken says, this is the biggest move they've made yet. Like this is the most important move they've made yet. What do you think about this move? Because I could see some people going, ooh, that feels like a big step. Uh, But we have been saying bringing stuff into light is a positive thing. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's the right move. I know it's going to – I know it's going to be – a thing like I'm not saying it's going to be an easy move, mm-hmm. um, but I absolutely think for these for these victims, I I also think Brian that there are probably men and women who have been abused by some of the pastors that are on the list, but maybe are questioning either their own sanity because sometimes mm. that can happen to abuse victims. You're like, am I remembering this right or not? And um, or perhaps questioning. I just questioning what happened, questioning themselves. But I think for them to be able to see a list of like, oh, this person did this to other people. That means what happened to me really did happen. There's some validating and some healing that the Lord can do in that. So I think for both those who have come forward and those who still haven't, it's going to be really, really, really powerful. And I do think a reckoning like this is so important in healing. And um, you know, I, 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 again, I know it's going to be a thing and, and I'm not yeah. saying it's going to be easy. I know it's going to be quite, quite painful, but I do think finally the SBC is making a right move here by no longer hiding and protecting the, the wolves in there in sheep's clothing. And I mm. heard, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor retweeted this recently it's not the wolf in sheep's clothing. It's the wolf in shepherd's clothing that have mm. been the problem. And so wow. I think being able to identify who the wolves are yeah. um, is going to go a long way towards healing, but also like stopping this from happening in the future. Yeah. Yeah. What and do again, you think about it, Brian? Well, I think the important part here is they've been credibly accused of abuse. Like this yeah. is not just everybody who right. has been, right. their name has been thrown out or this is right. not, you know, somebody made an accusation, but they couldn't yeah. verify it at all yeah. or whatever. And because that's the standard, I think this is a good move. I think this says, uh, we are not going to protect the abusers. We are going to be mm-hmm. on the side of the victims and we're going yeah. to be on the side of 
uh, of the light. We're going to be on the side of transparency. Yeah. We want somebody in the article use the phrase um, this that this guideposts um, report has made clear that there is a deep rot that goes deep into the Southern Baptist that goes yeah. deep many years. Yeah. This is a, a serious attempt at saying we're trying to deal with that rot mm-hmm. instead of to keep the imagery going instead of painting over the rotten wood. Like we're not just painting over this. We are trying to dig and that's going to be really painful. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's going to be painful for some people on that list, but yeah. you're on that list for a reason and we're done protecting you and we're done trying to protect the name of our denomination. Instead, we want to be, uh, we want to ultimately uh, be a denomination that brings glory to God that is That's no right. longer about abuse and power. Yeah. And so I do yeah. think this is necessary. Uh, necessary does not mean it's going to be easy. This That's is right. going to yeah. be painful when names yeah, are is. named. And yeah. oh gosh, that is, there are some people scrambling right now, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, and that's going to be really painful, really, really painful. But that, uh, can I just, I I don't know how else to be more blunt. You're the one who abused people. You deserve it. That's what I feel like. I'm like, yeah. And also the pain that you've caused for years. So it's in one sense, it is one of those things where like, this is a little bit of taste of, of, um, the consequences for your sin Mm -hmm. and God allows those consequences in our lives for good purpose and good reason. And I, I actually think at the end, you know, it's hard to, yeah. In one sense, I'm like, you're the one who did it. You deserve it. I know that probably doesn't sound right, but I do Mm -hmm. think it is what have we done, but blamed the victims. And so of course the reversal of that makes sense to me. What would you say to the person who's like, I get that we're people of light, but but sometimes it's too much pain to mm. bring every to air all the dirty laundry mm. to do like yeah. this might be this might be beyond what we can recover from. So not somebody who's like, no, we got to cover this up, but go right, right. This feels like it may be a step too far. What would you say to yeah. that person? Um, I think I would probably encourage them to hear the stories of the victims. Mm. And again, we're talking about pastors here, right? So these are people that were meant to protect, meant to guide, meant to lead spiritually, in many ways, spiritual fathers to people. And so um, in one sense, like these are evil villains. And I know no one is only one thing. um, But I, I do think we need to hear the stories of the victims in order to be um, in order to, in order to find freedom and healing. And it might be painful for you, but think, I think at the end of the day, we have to think about the pain of the the men and the women who've been abused, but the girls and the boys who've been abused and just their, their, their stories get to be the loudest stories. That's well put. So I think that that is it. Like we need to, um, put the focus on those who have been hurt. And if the, yeah. if you, what you're hearing from victims is we want this to come to light, I think that's a good sign that this yeah. needs to happen. So yeah. continues to be a painful time, but oftentimes mm-hmm. to get to where you need to go requires uh, a that's lot right. of pain. That's and right. so uh, hopefully this will bring some healing. All right, Aubrey, I want to do something fun. Every now and then we like to dig back into our youth or present day to talk about 
evangelical Christian subculture. Yeah, we and have like fun. To, we have fun laughing at ourselves, basically. You and I are immersed in Christian subculture. We are radio hosts on a Christian radio station. We're evangelical pastors. We went to Wheaton College. You <laughs> write books. I mean, we are like... I, mean, I literally... Worked... Wait, the title of my master's degree is Master's in evangelism and go. leadership like you can't get any more evangelical than that we are oh, we're i in can it, ryan i can because to top it off i'm sure we both have k-love on our presets you know to, to sing <laughs> but to top it off you uh when i was in college i worked for two years for testaments which is one of the ultimate Hold christian up. you kitschy gotta explain subculture to people things. what testaments are because this is incredible greatest, your job wait your greatest job college resume, job ever it, is outstanding but tell the people what testaments is who don't know so it was it ended up being a nationwide deal but it was started by a guy in my church in new jersey at the time think about a pack of velaments you know what velaments are you know those mints yes Uh, but pretend that on the package of mints all right well now on each mint pretend that instead of being just a mint this mint had a cross uh carved into it okay and then pretend that on the outside of the packaging was now a bible verse and that now it didn't just say velament, it now said testaments. Oh, man. We're preaching Jesus through our mints. I love Here it. Here was the tagline. I love it. A mint with a message. <laughs> and so uh, one year, Aubrey, one summer, I spent the entire summer calling every Christian bookstore in the country. No, you didn't. And the second summer, I traveled around and went to various conference, Christian conferences and sat at a table and sold mints and helped you, people. Brian, I want a slow yes. clap for you. I wish our, I hope our listeners can hear this. I'm slow clapping for Brian. All those hours peddling those testaments. Who knew testaments. that 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 little boy would grow up to be a pastor and a radio host? <laughs> little boy, I was in college. <laughs> <laughs> that six year old doing child labor would grow up to yes. become a pastor. So testaments, wow. uh, you can't beat you can't beat Christian subculture. Beyond, I worked for testaments. And so uh, why are we saying this? We like to laugh at ourselves sometimes, Aubrey, as Christians. I think sometimes we take ourselves entirely too seriously. So over at Relevant Magazine, and I'm guessing some of you might find this just a little sacrilegious, but we're going to we're going to we're going to walk into that pool a little bit. Here's the title of the article. Are you ready? Yes. Behold the world's most unhinged Christian bumper stickers. <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. This the article says sharing your faith isn't always easy. Finding up those opportunities to strike up a thought-provoking conversation about eternal truths can at times be challenging. Thankfully, bumper stickers offer Christian drivers the chance to show all nearby motorists that they're serious about Jesus and pithy phrases stuck with adhesive to the back of their vehicle. So <laughs> this is poking fun at Christian subculture. This is, be this good. is very relevant yeah. magazine, yeah. which is where this is coming from. So yes. here's what I want to do, Aubrey. I want to read to you the bumper sticker okay. and maybe their description of it a little okay. bit. And I want I want you to say effective or ineffective. <laughs> I would also like to ask this question. Okay, hold on. Wait, go ahead. I would do have you a follow-up question. Bumper, would you put this bumper sticker on your car? Okay. Effective meaning people are like one to Jesus because of it? Is that what you mean by effective? Or, or people just like... read it. No, I'm going to make the bar a lot lower than that. Okay, what's the bar? What's the bar for effectiveness? People read it and it makes them think more than it makes them think, wow, 
That's a really annoying Christian okay. in front of me. Okay, okay, got it. So no, got it, got it. I don't think okay. that we're we're winning so, like, souls not here. Annoying people is sort of the bar. But instead, okay. people go. They either chuckle at it or they go, yeah. "Huh, that gave okay. me something to think about." <laughs> okay, okay, right. I'm ready. You, you, I'm so you get ready. the game. I, you get the game. Uh, I can't wait. I'm. I was born for this. All right, first bumper sticker. Here it is. Uh, at the top of the bumper sticker, it says "warning," like in like really big words. Warning: in case of rapture. This car will be unmanned. In case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. Okay. Tell me your I, thoughts on that one, Aubrey. I I mean, it's pretty funny, but I'm going to say ineffective and I would never put that on my car. Okay. Okay. But but hilarious. Relevant magazine went on to write, the end of the world may be a bummer for anyone left behind, but at least they can have their pick of cars. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, next one. Okay. Just a simple yellow background, black wording. When schools had prayer and Bibles, they had no drugs. When schools had prayer and Bibles, they had no drugs. Very definitive, declarative wow, statement. Just, what do you that think? That is just, um, I, I don't think that's true. So I'm also going to also going to call that ineffective. And okay. here's the anecdote for that: why I know it's not true, because I went to a Christian school where there were prayer and Bibles, <laughs> and a lot of my friends came to school very high. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Uh, so I'm going to say ineffective, and no, I would not put that on my on my car. Okay, this one, I think that we might get you with this one. This one might be a little effective. Ready? Yes, here we go. Honk if you love Jesus, dot, dot, dot. Text if you want to see him. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I think that one wins effective and I'll put it on my car and my luggage. This is certainly they write one way to push people into both accepting the gospel and driving safely. (laughs) All right. I know what you're going to think this one. This is a smiling ichthus fish. Okay, a smiling, oh, smiling. fish. Okay, yep. Uh, swimming just above what appears to be fire. Oh, ready? Okay. This fish won't fry. Will you? This fish won't fry. Will you? What do you think? Again, hilarious. But I'm going to uh, say ineffective and definitely would never put that on my car. But Relevant hilarious. Magazine. Relevant Magazine writes, if I saw this on the road, I would need to pull over and stop to think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This one might work because it keeps the car imagery going. Here okay, we go. Okay. has a picture of a road and it says heading in the wrong direction. God allows U-turns. <laughs> Okay, so that one's kind of sweet. I mean, okay, I'm going to call it effective in that it's sweet and not totally offensive like some of the hell-based ones. Okay. But I don't think I would put it on my car because of the cheese factor, but it's it's cute. Like, it's a little – it's precious. They wrote, I'm sorry, they're so, they're so irrelevant magazine here. They wrote, did you know GPS actually stands for God Pivot Sinners? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one, too. All right, this one they titled Passive Aggressive, but in a loving way. It says this, try Jesus with an exclamation point. If you don't like him, Satan will always take you back. (laughs) Oh, oh, man, man. 
Yeah, that one's theology harsh. on this one. Yeah, that one's real harsh. Yeah, that's a what do they call that ransom theory where they think salvation yeah. is that you've been you've been like captive, taken captive from Satan. There you go. So I'm gonna call that both ineffective and bad theology, and I would not put that on my car. They said the message here is that Satan gives second chances. All right, couple <laughs> more, real fast. Here we go. This is old school, a true classic. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. Oh, yeah. Love that one. I love it. I, I okay. don't know if I call it effective, but I would definitely have it on my on my car. Right. That's awesome. This might be our last one. I'll, I'll search for the best one. This okay. is amazing. Okay. Uh, they said, if you put this on your car, you better be prepared to answer some questions. It just says this. Jesus is a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to go very effective because that's going to make you think, like, what does this actually mean? Not what I thought you'd would say. Would I put it on my car? Absolutely not. Never. All right. How about this one? Liquor leaves you breathless. Drugs leave you senseless. Jesus won't leave you regardless. (laughs) Liquor leaves you breathless? No, I don't. Ineffective and I wouldn't put on my car. Yeah, yeah. Last one. When you drive like I do, you better believe in God. That one's the that one wins them all because you're being a little self-deprecating. It's pretty funny. I'm going both effective and putting it on my car. Thank you for joining wow. us in one of wow. our favorite places, that being Christian subculture, which we totally Amazing. get. Amazing. We are immersed in. I wonder if anybody out there has any of those bumper stickers on their car. Well, you know, we need to come up with one that says the common good dot, 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 and then something uh, I like very it. I- yeah. completely like yeah I like cheesy it. i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna work the on that common all right good brian of course i feel like we can't start an hour um of the show without talking about the shooting in texas and i i'm sure you've been following the story in the news and also following what a lot of people are doing and saying on instagram or on twitter yeah. on social yeah. media some of those voices are just like, we don't need to listen. We don't need to hear from you right now. You need to be quiet, people. But some of them have been really, really moving. And I found the people that are connected to Texas, especially just voices that are really, really poignant right now. Not everyone, but some. And one of those is Matthew McConaughey, who I didn't realize, Brian, he he's obviously uh, the actor Matthew McConaughey. I didn't realize he's from Uvalde, Texas. Yes, yes. So you know he's from. Everyone knows he's from Texas because yeah. he's very outspoken about his love yes. for Texas, right? And University of Texas. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of people. Uh, there was a push a couple months ago to get him to run for governor. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. There was. Now I don't know if he ever would have had any realistic shot or not. Mm-hmm. But he's been a very vocal um gun reform guy yeah. like we gotta do some yeah. guns and so it is interesting to hear from him knowing that as his background but like you said more than that knowing that this area is where he's from where he yeah. grew up yeah i i had i had no idea so with that in mind he posted something on twitter yesterday i believe it, it might have actually been two days ago that was really really powerful and so i thought we could read it and just have a discussion mm-hmm. about it brian it's a little bit long so i'm gonna read you one two three four five paragraphs here Go okay uh here's what matthew mcconaughey said as you are all aware there was another mass shooting today this time in my hometown of uvalde texas Once again, we have tragically proven that we are failing to be responsible for the rights our freedoms grant us. 
The true call to action now is for every American to take a longer and deeper look in the mirror and ask ourselves, what is it that we truly value? How do we repair the problem? What small sacrifices can we individually take today to preserve a healthier and safer nation, state, and neighborhood tomorrow? We cannot exhale once again, make excuses, and accept these tragic realities as the status quo. As Americans, Texans, mothers, and fathers, it's time we reevaluate and renegotiate our wants from our needs. We have to rearrange our values and find a common ground above this devastating American reality that has tragically become our children's issue. This is an epidemic we can control, and whichever side of the aisle we may stand on, we all know we can do better. We must do better. Action must be taken so that no parent has to experience what the parents in Uvalde and the others before them have endured. And to those who dropped off their loved ones today, not knowing it was goodbye, no words can comprehend or heal your loss. But if prayers can provide comfort, we will keep them coming. Hmm. Oh, I, I, I thought there was something really powerful about that. Mostly, I think, because of who he is and where he's from, right? That's like, right. like speaking from speaking from the heart about, yeah. yeah, about his own hometown. And I do think Brian, there is an interesting, there's really an interesting Christian call there. I don't know if Matthew McConaughey is a person of faith or not, but to, to say like, it's time to reevaluate our wants versus our needs and put our needs first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I feel like, and and yeah, I just feel like that's what I'm hearing is people putting their own desires before the common good mm-hmm. um, of other people, especially our children. And it's it does seem, you know, we keep saying this, but it's time for us to do something different. I yeah. I was in a class with um with a woman from Australia all throughout grad school, and she told a story about how there was a there was a major shooting in Sydney, and I can't remember how many years ago. So forgive me for that not knowing. But she said that um, their leaders called for Australians to come turn in their guns. This tells you the difference between like an individualist, independent society like mm-hmm. American and more of a collective society like Australia. She said the next day, without question. There were piles and piles of guns in cities because people were turning them in. Like, we cannot do this anymore. Our peace matters more than this. Mm. And we'll never see that in our country. Like, that never. is not going to happen in America. But I I think that sentiment or that heart of being willing to uh, put our own desires aside, our own quote-unquote like rights aside for the betterment of others I know I sound naive and some people might be arguing in their minds as they hear me talk about this, but that is the goal. Like that's the Christian call to love and, is and that you sad. put other people first. And it's sad that you said, and I might agree with you that I sound naive. Like right. if we, and we're speaking right. to Christians here, like not yeah. even to our whole culture. Yeah. Like I think our responsibility is to the fellow Christ follower and to the church. Mm-hmm. And for us to say, it feels naive to say, Hey, above all else, use this framework, put the needs of others above yourself. Hello, that's from the gospels or love your neighbor as yourself or in for us to feel like that's naive, Mm -hmm. because I think we both feel that Mm -hmm. for us to feel that that's Pollyanna Mm -hmm. and naive is to say that we also both believe that the worldview that many Christ followers are living with is not biblical. 
Yeah. And wow. that if wow. we could embrace the way of Jesus that says, I'm going to put the, the wants and needs of others, like it's one thing for us to say, I'm going to put my needs ahead of my wants. Okay. It's a whole nother thing to say, I'm going to put your needs ahead of my wants and needs. Yes. Yes. But that's the call of Jesus. And that so is. we seem to have lost that so much mm -hmm. that everything's about my rights and my this. And, and I understand mm -hmm. that. Sure. But everything becomes about what I want, what I want, what I deserve, what I need. And, and we lose sight of the fact and we begin to call naive and Pollyanna the very words of Scripture that say, right. you know what? The last shall be first. Put the needs of others before you. Love yeah. your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And if we, if we as a church could ever get to the point where we start from that, mm. man, it's going to look so different to the world yeah. around us. People are going to be like, what in the world is going on there? It's what we said yesterday or the day before that our greatest evangelistic tool is the lives that we lead. And as long as we see that as unrealistic in Pollyanna, we're never going to be any different from everybody around us. But instead, we're going to say, this is my rights. This is what I get yeah. to do. You can't tell me what to do. Mm. That's, that's a bad, bad, unchristian posture that's right. To start Brian. from it's it's really what has Jesus told me to do? How has mm -hmm. He told me to live and approach my neighbor, and that I'm going to do that even though other people don't? Yep, that's. I mean, there's not much more to say than that. If we could just do that somehow by the power of God at work in our lives, then perhaps we could finally see a new day in the tight turning and some of these terrible, terrible things. We are so glad that you're with us today. We are especially glad to be joined by a friend of mine an author, a pastor, a church planter, and a quipper. His name is Daniel Yang. Daniel is the director of the Church Multiplication Institute at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Uh, he planted a church in Toronto where he helped recruit, assess, and train church planters through the Send Network and Release Initiative. He does all kinds of things, including working on his PhD in intercultural studies at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Has a brand new book coming out on Tuesday called Inalienable: How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Help Save the American Church. Daniel, thanks so much for being here with us today. Aubrey, Brian, it's so good to see you um, again you and, and, and to, to be on here. So thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we love having you. And I hear that you've been on the show before, but I wasn't there. So this feels like really this is the first time you've been on the <laughs> yeah. show now that you're yeah. here with me. Now it's actually The show's official. gotten better. Yep. That's right. Thank you for that. I'm going to call Ian and tell him that you said Ian that. Ian appreciates it. <laughs> uh, Daniel, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and perhaps dive into why you decided to write this book? Yeah, you know, so I'm a, I'm a missiologist, so I help folks think better about mission, specifically around church planting in North America. Personally, um, ethnically, I'm Hmong, and so my parents were from Laos. We were refugee immigrants that came to the United States. And, and uh, even though I grew up going to church, and it was an immigrant church, I think in some ways my, my um, immigrant experience uh, really was what helped shape the writing of this book, at least my contribution, uh, just as much as my work as a missiologist. Yeah. That is so cool. And, and as you said, you wrote this with uh, Eric Costanzo and our friend Matthew Sorens. And you That's guys right. asked this question, okay? It says, we've written this book because we believe American Christians are at a critical crossroad and the very soul of the American church is at stake. Please mm. unpack that. Talk to us about the crossroad and what you see going on right now. Yeah. Well, you know, the book is uh, is kind of two parts in the sense that it does continue to provide a little bit of analysis and assessment of like, the current state of American Christianity. 
But other folks have done that really well. Uh, Jamar Tisby, Christian Cobes DeMay. I mean, whether or not you agree or disagree with them, they, that was kind of their attempt. What we did was we also, in addition to do providing analysis and assessment, we tried to provide what we thought were very hopeful, pertinent voices and resources mm. to speak into the current um, uh, you know, state of American Christianity. And a part of it is, I, I would, I'd describe it this way. Um, what we're seeing here in our modern, like you know, 2022, is not uh, completely different from what we saw coming out of Vietnam, the Vietnam War, and the civil rights era. Um, but it's compounded, like it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's yeah. a it's a it's a continual you know fraying of not just American Christianity, but um, the way that we think about ourselves as uh, Christians in the world. Mm. And, um, you know, people would say, you know, it's the rise of Christian nationalism. People might yeah. say it's, you know, the way that we think about race and gender. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the leading indicator, if I were to say, you know, what's the, what's the leading indicator? I think it's the um, increased cynicism mm-hmm. of um, young people inside and outside of the church we're seeing that at levels that I think is extraordinary. Hmm. And the the stories of those young adults who are cynical about the church in America yeah. sounds drastically different than some of the cynicism and complaints that we've heard decades before. That's right. Hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about how the cynicism does look different than it did before? Like, what does today's cynicism look like towards the church? Yeah, you know, so um, just to compare, you know, back in the uh, probably 80s and 90s, you know, the, the term pro- postmodern was kind of like, you know, trending among yeah. uh, specifically evangelicals. And you can see a lot of book titles. Um, and a lot of that was geared towards like, what is truth? You know, mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. we know facts? It was much more of this like enlightenment based, rationally minded approach to understanding. Um, you know, that's not to say that like, uh, there wasn't, you know, social critique about racism and gender. But if you look at, like, what has over the last 10 years been the predominant, like, reason why people cite uh, why the church in America, um, you know, is, is um, in their words, probably not relevant, it has a lot to do with, like, um, our participation or lack thereof in social movements. Hmm. So case in point, like, I think the hashtag movements, they're not the reason why people uh, are are cynical. But they, they are actually the indicators of what are the things that we haven't been paying attention to yeah. that actually led to the cynicism. So, you know, hmm. name your hashtag movement. Um, and I think probably what also makes it unique is that we are a generation into um, the evangelical church saying that, hey, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix this. Mm. And uh, at least with these young adults, they've said, you know, you've been saying that for decades Mm. and we've not seen change. Wow. So again, in the book, the book is called Inalienable. Uh, You talk about uh, how it would be good for the American church and us as Christians to be guided by global Christians and the poor. And use an interesting phrase, you guys say, who offer hope from the margins. What do you mean by that? How do global Christians offer hope to the American church from the margins? Yeah, so let me give you a a, a picture for that. And sometimes when we think of margins, we'll often think of like people who don't have voice or power or resources. And that's true. 
But if you think about this, like, you know, you can only see from your social location who you are. Like, you can only see the world through your own eyes. Mm -hmm. But you have people that live at your periphery, you know, Mm -hmm. and they actually can see a little bit wider because they're at your periphery and they're seeing the world, you know, from their particular perspective. And what we're saying essentially is that if we only see the world, if we only see the mission of God, if we only read the Bible, if we only see ourselves as American Christians from our own particular uh, perspective, we're actually missing out on like the multi-perspectives that actually help to give a better understanding of who we are. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, so whether if it's the global church or, um, you know, minority Christians in North America, we also talk about... Uh, you know the uh, the ancient church, um, mm. how that's important as well. Mm. And so, if we center ourselves in the story of God, then we're only ever going to see um, one particular perspective. So, what we're trying to do is bring the multiple perspectives that that's actually right. is very healthy for us to really kind of undo some of the things that we feel so myopic about. Mm. Oh, that's great. So good, Daniel. Daniel, one of the questions that Brian and I often like to ask uh, pastor, church leaders, planters, missiologists that are on the show is this question. And we guess you're going to say yes. But the question is, are you hopeful for the church right now? Uh, but I guess the follow up question would be, if you're hopeful, what makes you hopeful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like... Um, it depends on the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, yes. that's real. So, yep. uh, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, there's a generational cycle of the church having to be honest with itself and to persevere mm-hmm. and to let God peel back the layers. And in terms of American Christianity, this is our generation's version version of that. Yeah. And so I think it's important to have perspective, to understand what's going on, to understand that as much as we're doing this to ourselves, God is doing it to us in his mercy. And my, my go-to passage for this season of the American church is really Hebrews chapter 12. Mm. And there's a passage there at the end of, um, of that chapter where the Hebrews writer uh, says that, um, he, he, he writes, at this time, his voice, God's voice shook the earth, but now he's promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And the words once more indicates the removing of what can be shaken that has created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, That's when good. the shaking has happened, like you, re, you it just feels so disorienting. Yeah. But then you have to remember that no, God is actually removing things that shouldn't have been there. Mm. Uh, so that the things that are supposed to be there can be more prominent. And I Amen. feel like that's my constant reminder to myself. Mm. Yeah. And what I'm learning, especially with young people, young adults um, that are experiencing this, I'm, I'm constantly thinking, what are the environments that we need to create that um, can constitute biblical community, but allows them to, to discern the difference between the things that God's shaking that's going to fall off and the things that actually will remain moving forward? So That's good. awesome. Daniel, so we, we love having you on the show. Yeah, uh, before we let you go, uh, let people know two things. We haven't mentioned your other two authors. So quickly tell us about the other two authors as a part of this book. And where can people go to order the book? Where can they connect with you online? Give us all of that as well. Yeah, thanks. You know, Eric Costanzo, he's a fantastic uh, pastor. Uh, he did his Ph.D. in uh, the ancient church. So that's where he's speaking oh, from. Cool. He's a uh, pastor of South Tulsa Baptist Church. Uh, and Matt Sorens, who's also a Chicago 
you know, neighbor here. Uh, he is the mobilizer for uh, World Relief, and he writes really from his uh, uh, his work mm-hmm. in advocacy. Mm-hmm. And great. so, uh, you know, we call we all have different perspectives. Uh, you know, this this is an InterVarsity Press book, and so you can uh, get a copy at InterVarsity Press or obviously Amazon. Awesome. All right. Well, we are so excited. Again, the title of the book is Inalienable, How Marginalized Kingdom Voices Can Help Save the American Church. We've been talking with Daniel Yang, one of the authors. Daniel, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Daniel. It is the end of today's show. At the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging, inspiring, encouraging, something to put a smile on that face of yours. Before we dive into a commencement speech that I want to share with you, I want to remind you that we've been partnering all month with Food for the Poor, uh, bringing much-needed food resources to those suffering in Ukraine. If you go to our website right now, 1160hope.com, click on that Help Ukraine banner. You can give a gift today. Every dollar provides four meals. And without your help, people in Ukraine and the refugees leaving Ukraine, those who have been displaced, will not have food. That's how serious the situation is. So again, 1160hope.com and click on that Help Ukraine banner. All right, Brian, one of the things that we do this time of year, and this is actually something I inherited from you and Ian, so you have uh, opened the door for this for me. This has been really fun is uh, because it's, you know, graduation season to go on YouTube and do a deep dive of inspirational commencement speeches. And you mm-hmm. could get lost all day doing these. These Absolutely. are actually like some are really, really entertaining and some are really powerful. And some are some are like, huh, like you scratch your head a little bit. And I'm going to put this one in a category of scratching your head a little bit. And here's mm-hmm. why. Uh, This is from Dwayne Wade giving the commencement speech at Marquette. And Dwayne Wade talks about two of our greatest fears. And I want to hear him talk about it. And then you and I are going to unpack why that made me go, hmm. So let's take a listen. Our two greatest fears are abandonment and claiming our greatness. We all look in the mirror every day. And in that mirror, we really get to see ourselves. We see our strengths and weaknesses, our imperfections. This is an opportunity to acknowledge ourselves again without judgment. This is self-awareness. As we become more self-aware, we achieve a better understanding of who we are. We discover the things that come easily to us that others may find challenging. We discover our values, our character, what we consider to be right and wrong. We discover what drives us, what inspires and motivates us. We observe our habits and discern what we do instinctively. Learn to enhance what is positive and discard what is negative. Through self-awareness, we are given the opportunity to design who we truly want and deserve to be. Okay, so Dwayne Wade, like one of the greatest athletes of all time. I'm not even a sports person. And I know that Brian, that's right. That's right. Um, and he says his two greatest fears, abandonment and claiming our greatness. And what he goes on to talk about, we didn't hear all of this is that part of claiming your greatness is becoming self-aware. So self-awareness helps you claim your greatness. And I think the part that I agree with is sometimes we are unwilling to be like, yeah, I, God gave me gifts. God gave me talents. I can like, hold my head up high. I can take up all the space I'm supposed to. I don't need to shrink. I don't need that false humility. Like 
I can walk in the gifts and talents and the anointing and the influence God has given me. Like, and that's okay. But it is a little, sometimes you hear these messages from certain like uber talented, uber famous people. And you're like, well, it wasn't your self-awareness that necessarily made you like top tier basketball player it's that like you're a super talented dude and it worked really hard maybe he became self-aware at how immensely good he was at basketball (laughs) maybe that's it maybe that's it but you know and i i do want to be you know uh, doing these speeches has to be hard like what am i going to to say that's so inspirational and life-changing and if you know Dwayne wade's story the idea of abandonment is a very real Mm. one that he overcame he's from chicago and yeah. went to Marquette. He wasn't highly recruited and became an All-American and then one of the best basketball players of our generation yeah. here. Uh, but it is funny, right? Self-awareness. You're like, ah, I mean, yeah. that makes you kind of sound less self-aware because you were an unbelievable basketball player. Like that's a you physical he, trait. You almost wish he'd be like, I worked really, really hard and I had a lot of talent. And so yep. I was just good. You know, but maybe that's it. He became self-aware. Maybe because of his abandonment issues, he was afraid to claim how good he was as an athlete. And so becoming self-aware was like, no, actually, I am really good and I can go. That's an important point. I think the claiming your own greatness, whatever exactly you however you phrase that. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we do that well in the Christian world because we want to be humble. We always want to be humble. Right. But also claiming like, you know what? God has gifted me in this way. Mm -hmm. I can do this. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do it uh, proudly and yeah. unashamedly for yeah. His glory, yeah. for the good of the church and the right. good of the of our of our world. Like sometimes I do think that we as Christians peddle in false humility. Like, oh, so I can't true. say that I'm good at this. Oh, right, right. Y- you know what? If if your book, your next book goes skyrockets up the New York Times bestseller, which we're it all will, confident prophetic. it will. Yes, thank you, Brian. Uh, Amen. If if it does that, it would be just completely disingenuous to be like if you were like this had nothing to do with me. No, of course it did. You wrote the book, right? Or right. It's a good speaker. Like I, I, I really it bothers me when I hear people who are really good communicators be like, "Yeah, it's just God working through me." That is true. Like I want to affirm the Holy Spirit working through you. Yes, yes, and your amazing communication gift. Right, right. God gave you that amazing communication gift. God Isn't it you. amazing that yeah. the people who, you know, who say this are like the greatest communicators <laughs> there are? Like you listen to Andy Stanley, you listen to Matt mm-hmm. Chandler, you listen mm-hmm. to Christine Kane, you listen mm-hmm. to Francis Chan, mm-hmm. Rick Ward, whoever. I'll make the list as long as you want. Yeah, yeah. You walk away inspired. You walk away yes. challenged. But you also yes. walk away going, that person Dang. could that person could sell uh, ice to an Eskimo, right? Yes. Like that person yeah. is – yeah, uh, it's what before. I know we're not, you know, before uh, his prolific fall, people used to say about Bill Hybels, right, right. If he wasn't leading Willow, he'd be leading a Fortune 500 company. He totally. was just a leader. Yeah. And so yeah. sometimes we talk about like God's going to use me as if like I have nothing to bring to the table, and I'm mm-hmm. not sure that's helpful. Like, figure out how God has gifted you yes. and celebrate those and run yes. towards those and ask how can I use those to to further God's kingdom. Yeah, that's good. I I know there is this. I, w- I was even reading in is it Acts when King Herod doesn't give praise to God, and so then the Bible's like, then he died and was eaten by worms. And I'm like, what is the story? You know. But then you kind of go, oh, I don't want to. God gets all the glory. It's God. It's not me. It's God. It's not me. But I do think there is a moment where you can be like, okay, but God is partnering with me. Like God, 
God and I are doing this together. And so, so if, for instance, you go to a preacher and you say to them, that was a great sermon. Thank you so much. It drives me crazy when they go, oh, it wasn't me. It was all the Lord. I wish they would just go, thank you. Say, thank you so much. God is so good. Or I'm so grateful that God allowed me to do that. Or like say thanks, but you don't have to be like, thank you. I know I'm so wonderful, but you also don't have to be like, it wasn't, no, no, I don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know why that bugs me. Maybe because it seems fake. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe that's not fair. But the other thing kind of on the flip side that bugs me too is when these super, super talented people stand up to, you know, do something that they're so good at. And beforehand, they're like, I'm not very, I'm not a very good blah, 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 blah. And then they go and they're like amazing. And you don't yes. want, like, you want people to, you want people to claim who they are. And I guess that's the self-awareness that Dwayne Wade is talking about. Yeah. Like, don't have a false humility. Yeah. It's, it's okay not to be prideful, but yeah. to like know how God has gifted you and walk in that and not be ashamed of it. Amen. I think that's where we've gotten in this long conversation. Thank you, Dwayne Wade. All right. All right. Well, thanks before so much. You, hold oh. on. Before you end oh. the show, I have to yes. do one thing <gasps> uh, because my parents regularly listen. It's my dad's oh. birthday today. Oh, Happy birthday, okay. dad, if you're listening. Happy birthday, Brian's dad. Happy there birthday, Mr. Fromm. This is so go. fun. Regular wanna, like... listeners of The Common Good. Oh I, oh, I love it. Thanks so much for listening and hope you have a wonderful birthday. And hey, thanks everybody for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.